0: there I'm Austin Bristow and you're listening to On The List. For episode 22 on Saturday April 17th I'm joined by Pitchless Manager Mark McElroy. Mark, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely glad you're here. Now, For everyone else listening, each week I am joined by a writer of the Pitcher List staff. We like to talk baseball. We'll discuss what they've been working on. And we do like to do a mailbag session at the end where we answer your questions. Now, you can send those questions directly to me on Twitter. My personal Twitter is at Bristowski. And you can also follow the show at OnTheListPL. Now, an even easier way to get those questions every time I ask on our PictureList Plus Discord server for those, you can, you can join that server at PitcherList.com slash plus. Now, Mark, where can the people find you on Twitter?
1: Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Mark McElroy BB. Um, to be perfectly honest, I'm not on there very often. Um, Twitter's not my favorite thing in the world but uh, it's a necessary evil uh, and so if you need to speak with me then you can contact me there but don't expect me to get back to you right away it takes me a little while every couple of days I log on to see what's what's going on and then I quickly log off but uh, it's um, it's a good place to talk to me the best place is through the in, on the pictureless discord I uh, am on there frequently and get back to people very quickly so uh that's the best place but uh that's not available to everyone so twitter is uh what it is
0: twitter is uh it, i think it's uh, fair enough to say twitter is essentially a wasteland of uh both the best and worst of any group of people and uh I I definitely understand you're uh, wanting to avoid it as much as you can.
1: Yeah, I, it's not that I I don't enjoy um interacting with people on there. I do. Um I just don't do it very often. I'm very um I'm a quiet person, so I if I see something that that upsets me, I just don't engage on there. And, uh, but I do love to read about, um, fantasy baseball and that's a really great place to find information about players, about what's going on, about what people are saying in the fantasy baseball industry. Um, and, uh, so I like to, to, to find all that stuff. I just don't like all the drama.
0: I don't blame you. That's, it can be overwhelming very quickly. Yeah. Now, Mark, We're not here to chat about the (laughs) the Twitter uh, beef between whoever. The people are here because they want to know who is Mark McElroy. So let's go ahead and just we'll lead it off here with a
1: very open ended question. Just tell me a bit about yourself. Okay. uh, Um, When it comes to baseball, um, I've been playing. I played baseball when I was a kid. Um, I grew up in a small town in Ontario Um, and uh, so yes I'm a Canadian Um, and baseball was my thing hockey was never my thing when I was growing up I didn't like it I didn't um, I didn't really enjoy it and I was really small (laughs) Um, I was a small kid so I didn't ever want to play hockey because all the other kids were three times my size so it never really fit (laughs) Um, it wasn't also something I couldn't do. Um, I couldn't do it by myself, uh, as a kid I had a sister, but she wasn't interested in playing sports with me. So, uh, I had to entertain myself and I did that with baseball. Um, I grew up on a farm and so we, uh, it was, my parents gave me the option of either you go out first thing in the morning, they said, either you go out and play or we find some work for you to do. <laughs> and, so, and so I often said, okay, well, I'll just take my glove and ball and uh, bat and go out and, and play and do my own thing. And so that's what I did. I just, you know, I, I tossed the ball up and hit it to the end of the garden, and then I'd walk to the end of the garden, pick the ball up, and hit it back. And I would do that for hours and hours. hours. And I would then... <laughs> do it i'd just go into the fields and do the same thing just toss the ball up into the air and smack it as far hard as i could and far as i could and then i'd walk across the field and pick it up and do it again and i would do that for hours i also we had this beautiful um concrete pad right in front of the barn and the barn had a concrete um uh, like a very rough concrete uh, foundation and so i could throw uh like an Indian rubber ball, um, a lacrosse ball uh, against the wall of the uh, foundation. And it, would, it wouldn't just bounce straight back to me. It would sometimes bounce at a rakish angle because of the stones inside the foundation. Oh. And so it would mean that I'd have to, uh, you know, practice my fielding. So I would just sit there all afternoon and just throw the ball against the wall. And I make up all these games in my head about, you know, runners on first and third and here's the throw and then there'd be a ground ball and if i fielded it cleanly then that was an out and if i if i made a mistake or didn't get to it then it was a hit and uh then i'd i'd field the ball and then i'd throw it back instead of bouncing it on the wall first i'd bounce it against the ground first so that would hit the wall and then bounce up and through the air so it was like making an out and it was uh I just entertained myself for hours doing that, um, when I was a little kid and, uh, it was what made me fill my time in the summers and in the evenings. Um, but also really helped improve my baseball skills. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. That's fantastic. I mean, I've been, you know, growing up, uh, Finding a brick wall, taking like a tennis ball or a racquetball or something like that and just bouncing it against the wall was one of the best ways to entertain yourself for hours at a time. So I definitely understand that.
1: Well, and it was uh, the ball I used was um, it wasn't it wasn't a lacrosse ball, but it was very, very similar to a lacrosse ball. It was actually a dog ball. Um, It was a dog toy and it was quite um, it wasn't heavy, heavy, but it was a little bit heavier than an actual baseball And so when I was throwing it all the time, I was building up so much arm strength. I was doing weighted ball training as a little kid. And so when I was playing Little League and stuff, I had one of the best arms on the team because I was used to throwing this ball that was very slightly heavier than the ball we used in games. And so um, it was very funny a few, uh, probably a couple decades later when I learned about how players were doing weighted ball training. And I thought, hey, I invented that in 1983 <laughs> in my backyard. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Now, how is, how is baseball kind of viewed in Canada? I know hockey is the dominant sport there as far as popularity American football is also fairly popular as I understand. How is baseball viewed as far as, you know, popularity, how how much is it played? Like you mentioned Little League, I, how much
1: is it played as far as, you know, high school sports things along those lines? Um well, I think it's actually um it's changed a lot in the, my lifetime. Um when I was a kid, I th- remember it being very more much more important than it is now. Um hockey is kind of the thing that everybody gravitates towards like so if you watch sports center um in the in the middle of the summer instead of getting baseball highlights you get you know off-season hockey trades and uh manager hirings and firings instead of actual sports instead of baseball so baseball's really pushed down the uh the list of important sports, uh, these days. But when I was a kid, it was huge in my town. Um, there was a pretty vibrant little league scene. Um, I used to be on the traveling team. So we used to play all around, um, Eastern Ontario. And, um, we used to play pretty, pretty important games that would qualify us for you know, national championships and stuff like I, I, we never got to that. I never got to that point, of course, but it was, it was big. It was really popular when I was a kid. Um, I think one of the reasons why is uh, because it's so much um, less expensive than hockey. Uh, yes, you need a bunch of players to play uh, baseball. Uh, you need nine players on each team, obviously, but um, you don't need a lot of equipment. You just need a glove and a ball and a bat. Whereas when you play hockey, you need all the gear, goalie equipment. Um, you need the ice, which is expensive. Um, so uh, when I was a kid, it was just we always played baseball, um, and uh, that was just the way things were. I uh, I don't know what it's like um, in other part was like in other parts of the country, but um, I know when I was a kid, when I was not living – I didn't live too far from Ottawa and it was only about three hours from um, my house to Montreal. So I was three hours from Montreal and three hours from Toronto, about basically three and a half, four hours from Toronto. And uh, so I was exposed to the Expos. I was exposed to the Blue Jays. And when I was a kid, they were a big deal because they had just – I mean I was – I was born in 76 and so the blue jays were just starting in 76 and the Mm -hmm. expos had been around for a little while so they were established but they were still a novelty um it was really exciting at that time to to be in that part of the world because um expo had happened and things canada was actually becoming its own country it was kind of learning its identity and so um having this new sport come into town and, and kind of, you know, make us feel important. <laughs> like we, <laughs> you know, it, it, that's kind of what I felt like is, Oh, we're, we're good enough to have a baseball team now.
0: That is cool. Um, so growing up, um, did you watch a lot of like expos did you or, uh, Toronto? What, what was your kind of experience as far as that goes? Well,
1: when we, uh, well when we were i grew up like i said i grew up on a farm and so at that time we didn't have cable tv uh we didn't have really any tv other than the channels we got on our antenna yeah got uh, the eighties. S- yeah, exactly and because we were in the country so like if you lived in town then you could get cable tv but they didn't extend the cable all the way out into the country where we lived so um we didn't have satellite dishes then uh well they did have them but they were those giant like 12 foot oh yeah dish, dishes that people had and my dad didn't want one in his on his property because he just thought they looked ugly <laughs> so we had to do we just had to deal with uh um whatever we could get over the air and so we had one english channel and one french channel and so they played the expo's games on the french channel so that's what we watched um, they did it all in French. And, uh, so I can understand, I, I know the names in French of all the players like Andre Dawson and, uh, <laughs> Andres Galarraga, <laughs> like there's a, That's a, interesting. a, they just, they don't say the names, they say the names of course, but they, they Frenchify all of them. So they have this little, uh, French tilt to them, but, um, it was really fun to watch with my mom and, uh, we couldn't see it very well because it was all fuzzy and and uh frosty when we were because of the static but we watched it we listened to it and it was fun to have it on in the house and that's where i really learned to uh learn the game um watch the game play it as much as i could um and uh and so I was really kind of an Expos fan when I was a kid because I watched it. Sure. but I love the blue. J- I love the Blue Jays. The blue Jays have always been my my main team. Um, we didn't. I didn't watch them a lot growing up, um, but I listened to them on the radio. And uh, we got into um, Exhibition Stadium a couple of times when I was a kid on special trips and stuff. But um, yeah, I was always a Blue Jays fan.
0: So yeah, you. We were chatting a little bit before we started recording about Exhibition Stadium. I was totally unfamiliar with it. So, explain to our audience, those who are also like myself unfamiliar, what
1: was Exhibition Stadium? So, Exhibition Stadium was uh, the place where the Blue Jays play, I believe they started there. Um, The exhibition – it's called the Exhibition Stadium because it took place at the uh, Central National – the Canadian National Exhibition Grounds. Uh, So that's uh, just a big national fair um, where they had a football stadium uh, that they converted into – well, they didn't convert it. They temporarily put – they crammed a baseball diamond into one of the corners. And so it was really – it was really ugly it was really cold it was very windy there because of the the water the wind off the lake and stuff so it was pretty nasty place to play and it had always had um, artificial turf so it was very ugly uh especially in the 80s that like super bright super artificial bright turf color yeah. yeah it's it looked awful and a lot of times it would get snowed out in april and early may and it was just uh, it was rough it's rough. You have to tip your cap to the uh people who played in in some of those nasty ballparks back then, but uh well, I remember I'm getting at, uh, I'm looking at pictures here. They only had the dirt around the
0: bases, home plate and the mound. Yep. Um it, like you said, it was basically like a f- similar to like a football stadium essentially. And so a lot of the seats are not at all close. It, yeah. It looks bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you you think about you have to put you have a football field that has parallel sta- um, stands. Yeah. And the, the field on the inside. Well, that's not even close to how a baseball diamond is made. So the one end, of course, sticks way out from the, the <sighs> even from the fence. And so when you go to Exhibition Stadium, um, you could often get seats that were a long 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 way from uh from the ballpark from the, the action uh fortunately back then they seemed to just let you go wherever you were or wherever you wanted to go so if you had one of those crummy seats in the bleachers that was 500 feet from the back of the uh, fence then you could just walk into something decent somewhere else wow. but uh it was i remember when they first built um Skydome and I'll always call it Skydome. I don't call it the other <laughs> Rogers center. <laughs> no, I don't like that. <laughs> we don't like we don't like Rogers very much here in Canada. They're a, a big cable company that, um, they have, uh, I shouldn't say anything too bad about them, but anyway, it's a, it, I think it's a very typical, um, uh, multimedia company where they, uh, you know, they provide cable. Cable TV and telephones and stuff. And who hasn't had a bad customer experience with yeah. their cable TV company or their, their uh, telephone company? So uh, I still call it Sky Dome. But uh, one of the things when Skydome opened was they said, oh, there isn't a bad seat in the entire building. And there really wasn't. But we were used to those bad seats from uh, Exhibition Stadium where you were so far away from the action and there was no screen there. I don't recall there ever being a screen in uh, in exhibition stadium. Uh, there may have been near the end, but certainly when the Sky Dome opened and they had the, uh, the jumbotron, it was a really big deal to be able to kind of follow the action without being able to see the action on the field. You could still see it on the big screen uh, was pretty revolutionary at the time.
0: That's wild. Yeah, I'm looking at this at some of the on the Wikipedia page here. I didn't realize uh, Canadian football fields are actually about thirty thirty four percent larger than American fields. Yeah. So yeah. that even exasperates the uh, issue further. Apparently, some seats were as far as eight hundred and twenty feet from home plate,
1: or two hundred fifty meters for our Canadian uh, listeners. <laughs> Yeah, that it was wild. Yeah, it was a long way away. It was very far from the action. And the same thing to you have to think the same thing they did. Um, they did the same thing at the Big O in Montreal as well, mm-hmm. where um, it was a football field. It was a it was actually an, an Olympic um, oval, um, but it was the same kind of deal where you could be on the outfield bleachers and be so far away from the action so far but that was okay because those seats were really cheap and when you're in um, a ballpark and you're young and you want to just go see a game you don't want to pay a lot of money for the expensive seats you want to get something cheap cost you a buck or two and then wander into some decent seat that's uh, closer to the action and that's what people did
0: absolutely that's wild like to think about you know where baseball has been played at the highest level it's just that that field was never meant to be a baseball field and they just kind of made it work so it's i'm glad that uh the blue jays now get to play well someday we'll get to play (laughs) in uh sky dome or rogers center again uh yeah it's crazy. that I, I read the other day, um, the Blue Jays are now the first team in Major League history to play their home opener in three different ballparks in three years in a row.
1: Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. I didn't, I didn't think about that. But of course, they opened in Buffalo. They opened, yep. they opened in Toronto and then they opened in Buffalo and now they're in uh, Dunedin. So Yep. Yeah. That has never happened and, before to
0: do three next different year, cities consecutive years.
1: Hopefully next year there's no labor disruption and they can play in, uh, in Toronto again. That'd that would awesome. be great. Yeah. I sure hope so because uh, Lord
0: knows Buffalo and they've, they've made a lot of progress in Buffalo. But boy, oh boy, it's 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 a triple A stadium.
1: Well, it's it's I, I think they've done a really good job. I think I haven't heard any of the players really complaining about it. I think the players have done a great job. Um, just, you know, saying, okay, this is extraordinary. These are extraordinary times and this is what we have to deal with and we can deal with it. Like, I, I, I think that they've done a good job. I mean, I, I, am glad to have the games, you know, Absolutely. they could have very, they could have very easily said, you know what, Blue Jays, they're just not going to play this year. It's too complicated. Or we're going to stick you into another ballpark and, um, make you share it with another team. You know, they didn't do that. They just. Uh, they did the best they could, and they did some made some upgrades, and um, it's actually going to be a really nice play, place for the young Blue Jays to play in True. Dunedin and in, uh, in in Buffalo in the future, because hopefully the, some of those upgrades will um, will they'll keep the changes and let the uh, minor league system improve, and so maybe they'll be able to get more talent that way. Young players say, "Hey, we got a pretty good ballpark there in Buffalo. Let's uh, let's go sign with the Blue Jays." That's a good thought. I like that.
0: Now, you've mentioned you've been a fan of the Expos. Blue Jays are your favorite, but you're currently wearing a Seattle Mariners hat. What's going on there?
1: Oh, I know. I uh, Well, I grew up in Ontario and I moved to British Columbia in uh, January of 2016. So um, it was my first time living on the West Coast. My wife um, transferred for work and then I transferred for work as well. And so we live in, in British Columbia now, and uh, I'd love to be a Blue Jays fan, except that they finish they start their games at four o'clock. Well, a lot of days I have to finish. I don't finish work until six or seven o'clock, and I walk through the door, and the game's over. Yep. So I have to have a second team to cheer for. Uh, all our all us West Coasters have two teams that we like, especially if we're transplants from from the east, because you can't just not watch baseball in the evening that's 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 something that we do so uh i've been following the mariners and the mariners are close right um it's only a two and a half hour ferry ride for me to get to seattle so um they can be not only be a team that i can follow but also a team that i can quite easily go and visit and, and watch play so um i have a Uh, four o'clock in the afternoon team and then a seven o'clock in the evening team and uh, the mariners are it um i i don't know why i chose the mariners just maybe because they're close but um especially now that um i could have the option of watching the padres as well or the uh um yeah, I guess the Padres are the top team that everybody's navigating towards. Oh man,
0: Padres like, are a
1: fun team this year. Yeah, exactly. So I wish I kind of was a Padres fan so that I could get on all, all the hype, but uh, but I'm very excited for Kelneck to uh, to join the team and for the the uh, young kids on the Mariners to make their stand. Um, it's also it's also there's a the Toronto connection too because um, they're both they both entered the league at the same year and uh so i don't think i realized that yeah they both uh, they were both expansion teams in 77 i believe um and so there's that connection too very nice now What has been your kind
0: of experience as far as fantasy baseball goes? How'd you get into that? And where, what have you done with that? What's your favorite type of league to play in all that kind of fun stuff?
1: Okay. Um, well, I, I grew up playing baseball. Um, I was, I loved baseball as a kid, uh, little league traveling teams, all that. And then I played in high school. Um, and then I, uh, kind of stopped following baseball for a, university and afterwards and then um I always liked the game um I just didn't follow it religiously so uh I ended up working in uh, work, going to work and uh one of my coworkers said hey you like baseball why don't you join my fantasy team or fantasy league I said uh okay but what what is it (laughs) and so he he introduced me to the the whole thing and uh of course i just totally went crazy for it loved it um and then uh just got completely hooked that was in 2014 um i got hooked and then i and i have a job that allows me to listen to podcasts while i work so um i I was able to, I thought, okay, I'll try to find some podcasts. And the first podcast I found was, uh, the sleeper in the bust. And that was back when, um, Eno was, Eno and Paul were working on it. And, um, uh, I was like, I thought I knew about fantasy baseball until I started listening to them and realized that, oh my goodness, there's an entire world of people who love a love fantasy baseball as much as I do, but B I've taken it to a totally different level where they're looking at advanced stats and spin rate and all these things. And I was like, oh, okay, this is going to give me a leg up on my competition. So I just started consuming as many podcasts as I could um, and and then just really getting into it. um, It was super fun to do. And then One of the podcasts I was actually listening to was, was, um, I don't know if this was right away. I don't think it was right away. It was quite a few years in, but Justin Mason was doing the TGFBI podcasts and he was, he was meeting all the people who were in playing TGFBI and the other quote unquote experts who were, um, in the league. And it was funny to listen to all those podcasts because the theme or the answer was always the same, was, oh, man, I love fantasy baseball. And what I did was I just decided to reach out to somebody and start working for them, you know, helping them out in some way or producing some kind of article. And everybody was so friendly and open. And, and that just uh, allowed me to just become the player I am today. Well, I thought to myself... I'd kind of like to start doing something like that. I mean, I'm doing all the work anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe I can contribute something. And uh, so around that time too, unfortunately, Laura Michaels died, and Todd Zola had been um, really working hard to um, do things to preserve his his memory and his legacy in in fantasy baseball. And one of those things was he took over at Creative Sports 2, which was Lore's website that, um, gave a voice to new writers and new people in fantasy baseball. And Todd decided to take me on and, uh, give me the chance to publish some articles over there, which I did. And he was awesome to work with, um, Obviously, Todd Zola is a legend, and of I was felt so so honored to be, uh, you know, able to just reach out to him via email and chat and have him read my pieces and give me feedback, and and it was incredible. So, I did that for about six months, and then uh, I decided to apply at Pitcher List, um, partially because uh, Pitcher List um, was willing to pay me for my work, and uh, Creative Sports wasn't. Um, Their mandate is to, um, to put their funds into keeping the site going so that people can have a voice. But, um, with the chance to actually get paid for my work, I thought, okay, let's, let's give that a shot. And Nick let me, uh, join the team. And at that point they were looking for writers for the newsletter. Yeah. And so I took on that responsibility. I started writing for the newsletter every week or so, um, and then uh eventually i started working well i did a i'll talk more about my uh projects but um one of the things that i did was um i just started regularly working for a newsletter and doing a, the occasional article and exploring the discord and chat and stuff and, and then i find out that there are 800 people who share my love of baseball and are super enthusiastic and super friendly and and i just kind of got hooked (laughs) you know (laughs) i very much get that now
0: if i remember right, you came on right around like 2017
1: 18 right in that time in the summertime july of 2017 i think it was that's yeah and so i remember there
0: was a there's a period of time there where you were like the main guy putting out multiple instances of the newsletter for a while.
1: Cause when you yeah. came on, uh, I was your manager at first. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah I was, I was doing a lot of newsletter because um, it's a hard thing to do to put out. Oh, a, it's not easy no, An it's... article an article every day. Um, it's not really an article. It's, it's, combining coalescing everything into one piece but you still need to have the time and take the time to do that so um and i believe it was just daniel port working on it so when i came on daniel was super excited because now he had to share the work with somebody else and um and so that we just did the best we could that's just the two of us but there were lots of days when we just couldn't take the time to do to put a newsletter out even though um it was important we just i mean it was too much for two people it was too much for daniel and then when he he had me so uh i did lots of work on the newsletter and I, i found it pretty fun and it was pretty easy to kind of get into um the community because i mean lots of people are reading it and getting they're like oh I like what that person just wrote. What's his name or her name? And and then if they found me and uh, it was a good way to kind of ease into things. Um, I didn't want to just jump into writing all kinds of going deep articles and, you know, heavy, heavy stuff, because at that time I just didn't feel confident enough in my own skills and abilities. And I mean, I was new. I knew what I was doing, but I also wasn't I wasn't naive enough to think that I was the best at it. I was very uh, honest with myself and realized that there are a lot of smart people doing a lot of smart things, and I'm just going to let them do those smart things, and I, I'm going to learn from that them rather than pushing in and saying, hey, everybody, look at me. So the newsletter was a really good way to quietly kind of get in on uh, into the community. And that's really kind of my M.O. is like uh, – I am quiet. I don't push my... Put myself out there too much. But um, I love this work. I love the fantasy aspect. I love baseball. I love this community. But I'm not going to be the first person you hear about on all these topics, right?
0: Yeah. When I, when I reached out uh, to Mark uh, last week to see if he wanted to come on and record with me, he's like, I... I don't know if I'll be the most interesting guest, but I'd be happy to come on. And I was like, oh, come on. He is clearly, as you guys have now seen, he has the classic Canadian uh, over-humbleness going on.
1: (laughs) I don't know if it's over-humbleness. It's just I, I I think it's really important to understand that there's so much of this game that we don't understand, that we will never understand. And it's humbling, but it's also really nice to say, okay, I can still learn stuff here. Like, I want somebody to teach me something. So when I read a Going Deep article or have somebody like Carlos Marcano is one of my, uh, is on my team and he's, uh, he comes up with some articles about uh, dynamic hit, hard hit rate and his, he creates new, um, metrics and stuff to help give him an edge in base in fantasy. And I'm like, yeah, give me more, teach me more. I want to learn all this stuff because uh, there's so many people with so many skills and so much knowledge that, um, I, I know that I can learn a lot from them.
0: That's a great way to, uh, great way to think about it. Great, great uh, mindset as far as that goes to, you know, be open to learning from others and collaborating in order to, better yourself and just everyone else
1: yeah well and that's what this whole fantasy thing is all about i mean we're just doing the best we can and learning things as we go and we're getting more data and knowledge and information but there's so much of it these days that i can't possibly know it all myself um, yeah. I'm, I'm just in awe of some of the work that in analytic work that some people are able to do where they can just take a whole bunch of numbers and just crunch through them all and get a list of names and, and all those names end up on next year's top, top draft boards. Right. It's incredible. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's
0: difficult to try and, uh, you know, comb through all the chaos that is baseball and try to organize it in a way that, you know, make it work for yourself.
1: Yeah, well, and one of the best things that I do is I just listen to a ton of podcasts.
0: That certainly I, uh, helps.
1: I um, it's great because I'm a, well, I'm a letter carrier, and so I deliver the mail. And as I walk and do my deliveries, I just have my iPad, I have my iPhone in my pocket, and it just plays podcasts that almost double speed like 1.75 or 1.65 speed so i can in my typical delivery day i can listen to approximately i would say 12 to 16 hours of podcasts every day which means that i not only get all the information every day um, of of the news and what's going on but i also get the perspectives of so many different people on all these, um, news stories and all the players that are involved. So I can then kind of, instead of just following one person, I can kind of coalesce all those different perspectives and opinions into my, into the one that I, that I have. Right. So it's actually, it's such a gift. I, I actually hate when I have to go on holiday in the summertime and I don't have to do my route because I lose those hours and hours of podcasts that I can listen to. And so I fall behind for those that one week and I come back and I'm like, okay, got to get back into the routine of learning about all these players (laughs) again. But uh, it puts me at a disadvantage when I actually take a week off from work in the summertime because I just don't have that 15 hours a day of podcasts (laughs) and and it's not like i'm listening to 15 hours in a day i'm listening to 15 hours of podcasts that are condensed and shortened into my work day so if i'm walking around for six hours then i can actually listen to the equivalent of 15 hours of podcasts in those six hours
0: yeah listening to it almost double speed yeah.
1: yeah exactly Exactly. What, uh, so what
0: are your, what, what would you recommend? What are you, what are your go-tos as far as your fantasy baseball podcasts?
1: Oh, well, um, I was introduced to fantasy from, uh, from sleeper in the bust. That's my first, first one that I always listen to. Um, I just, they are my, you know, my go-to. Sure. Um, I listen to the roto wire a podcast every day. Uh, they're great on the news and what's going on, and the kind of trickle down impacts that an injury might have on a team. Um, I love, uh, of course, I always listen to. Um, I really am impressed with uh, Ariel Cohen's Beat the Shift podcast sure. because he talks so much about strategy, and I love the strategy of fantasy, um, and he's so good about about dissecting all the intricacies of all the um the formats and the different strategies that go into every decision that we make and it's really it's really helpful i legitimately Um, think uh,
0: Ariel cohen is one of the smartest people in the fantasy baseball community
1: yeah his podcast is great and uh i love that you can listen to any of those episodes anytime yeah Uh, you don't they don't do a lot of news they do some news but mainly it's things like how do we you know how do we find steals uh, how do we do our FAAB um, all these intricate uh, strategy things are super important and uh, he does a great job there and he and Reuben both do amazing work uh, I love the fantasy uh, the baseball HQ podcast with Patrick Davitt a fellow Canadian um, there you go he, uh, they do a lot of strategy stuff as well um, which I find really helpful um, and I love the daily short daily podcast, like the first pitch podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick's what Nick does there. I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself a pitching guru or a, an expert in pitching at all. I'm more, I love the hitting aspect of the game, but being aware of all the, what all the pitchers are and what they're up to and, and, uh, learning from some of Nick's expertise on pitching is uh, really helpful. Um, and I have to say that the number one, as soon as it pops up on my, my feed that I absolutely listen to first, I drop everything to listen to is the, uh, the Autobot podcast. Um, it's the, uh, um, Justin Vibber and Chad Young and Niv Shaw have an auto new podcast that, um, I love listening to. It's just my top one. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, I, this is
0: the only one I haven't heard of from this list.
1: Yeah, well, that's uh, it's it's relatively new, but it's 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 auto-new centric. So, um, I've gotten really into auto-new lately, and uh, I love listening to their thoughts on the game. Um, also, one of the ones that I don't listen to very often because it doesn't come, it, they don't come up with new episodes very often. But it was one that I absolutely loved back when they were. Putting out regular content was the uh baseballholics anonymous podcast oh, yeah. uh i loved that one i loved the games that they played in the and they were always so passionate and caring about baseball and in a fun way too so um i guess they're they're both busy with uh work projects and children and stuff so it's understandable that they've they don't put out content very often but i just loved what they did yeah um and if I wanted, to, if I can just push uh, the um, pitcher list networks podcast, um, I really love what Adam Howe and Kevin Hasting are doing with the uh, the On the Wire podcast. Yep, um, it's really fun to listen to Kevin talk about his teams and how he navigates the NFBC and the big, high stakes uh, leagues and teams that he has um, mm-hmm. because. That's something that I aspire to do is to play in those leagues. But um, he has so much knowledge and expertise and and just um, he's very pragmatic and down to earth with his decisions. And he doesn't overreact. He doesn't uh, get overly excited about any of his moves. He's just very steady and calm and strategic. And he passes that information on. And it's invaluable because so often people just overreact and go crazy about, Oh, I got to pick this player up and I'm going to spend $600 to get him. And it's Mm -hmm. just, he's just like, no, no, it's not worth it. I'm just going to go for that guy you've never heard of who ends up becoming great. And it's, it's a really nice podcast. Um, they do a great job and Adam is, is excellent as well. Um, at, uh, providing some insights into, um, what we should be doing strategy wise to uh, play win week in and week out in this game.
0: Absolutely. Well, there you go, folks. If you are looking to, you know get deeper into the strategies and whatnot of fantasy those are some fantastic recommendations i i don't have the time to listen to as many podcasts as i used to when i was in college and um, back in the day but i've listened to m- most of those and can definitely recommend uh and clearly mark knows what he's talking about as he is <laughs> seen yeah listen to quite a few
1: i'm just i'm just scanning through the rest of the ones that i'm listening to and i miss rates and barrels i missed uh the on the corner podcast that i listen to all the time i missed launch angle i miss keeper cut i missed like
0: i mean fantasy baseball 15.
1: That... these are these are just excellent podcasts that just you don't have to be an expert to learn a ton about baseball um or you don't even even experts can learn a ton by listening to those podcasts like and i'm not considering myself an expert but i definitely play do a lot of thought on fantasy baseball and i learn every i learn something every time i listen to those podcasts yeah it doesn't matter which one
0: (laughs) absolutely and i I was thinking we could pretty much assume you were uh you know partaking in the pitch list podcast network content (laughs) here (laughs) of course well, all right. So I would, you mentioned Ottenew. Um, I know you had been getting into Ottenew pretty deeply um, a couple years ago, a year ago. Uh, mm-hmm. You were organizing a pitcher list on a new League, if I remember right. Um, yes.
1: Tell me a bit about that experience and how that's going for you. Well, I wanna, one of the things that Nick wants us to do is he wants us to put out an article every week. So when I started at Picture List, I was doing the newsletter, and that was meeting that responsibility. And then the off-season came, and I thought, what am I going to do for my one article a week? This is going to be tough, because there's so many other people doing so many things on the website that I I just don't have any ideas. And so I thought, oh, I've heard about this auto-new game. I heard actually heard Eno and Paul talking about it on Sleeper in the Bus quite a lot, and I thought... I don't know what that is, but maybe that's what I can do is do my weekly article on Audinu. And so I decided that I didn't want to play Audinu against a whole bunch of people who knew what they were doing. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to play against people who were in exactly the same position that I was as a total rookie, as a noob. Um, I knew the name Audinu, I knew it was a form of fantasy baseball but that was it. That's all I knew. And so I wanted people in that same position. And so I reached out to, uh, the discord community and the, the other writers at Pitcher list. And that this is my plan that I wanted to start a league. I was going to commissioner, uh, an auto new league of rookies of total new people to auto new. And I was shocked that I got 12, 11 other people in like A couple of hours it was it was all filled up um but everybody was super enthusiastic super excited and we were all in the same position which gave us a lot of um a lot of uh openness to one another because we could all say i don't know what this is can somebody explain can somebody help me with this can somebody explain this to me and so it was very much a, a learning together. So we had 12 people who were learning the game together, which was super fun. And there are a lot of times when somebody would ask a question and nobody would know the answer. And so one of us would then have to go out and do some research. Okay, this is the, how do we find the answer? And then we went out and found it. And then we present it back to the group. Well, then I decided and thought, well, this is a great way to Introduce new to uh the picture list readers is we will introduce we will go through these experiences of learning the game and then we'll pass that knowledge on to our readers and so then they can learn about auto in the same way we are learning about auto but instead of them having to go through 17 different articles to figure out um how to manage your uh, salary cap auction, they could just mm-hmm. go to ours, and we ha- we'll have done all that work for them. So, um, I thought it was a good way to do it. And then, <laughs> so the first article goes up. We have the team; we're all ready to go. And uh, first article goes up, and then Niv Shaw, who's the creator of Audenu just goes crazy on his twitter feed he's like i can't believe it this is awesome like pitcher list is now doing a, a weekly article and they're starting their own league and 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 he was super pumped like super pumped because i think it was kind of one of those moments for him where i don't want to speak for him but it certainly sounds from what i i gather was that he kind of like it was uh auto new kind of getting out to the masses a little bit where it had kind of oh, okay. we're doing something good. And now people are excited about it. And it has this knock on this building effect. And so uh, Niv reached out to me and he said, oh, why didn't you tell me that this was going on? And I could have given you a hand and stuff. And I was like, no, no, that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do that. I wanted to do this very organically where the 12 of us would do these things like pretend that we are starting out a brand new league and starting from scratch and learning the steps along the way. We didn't want to get, um, jumped ahead. We didn't want to take the ladder up to, uh, another level without doing the legwork first. So, um, he's been super friendly and nice about it. And, uh, I think I'd like to say we developed a a friendship, um, as much as people during, uh, uh, pandemic and uh, online can develop a friendship but sure. he, he uh, he's been super friendly and now he's part of the Pitcher List team. Um, he's doing database work for Pitcher List and
0: which is Wild, but yeah, it's we've great. Nivshaw on the team. I'm gonna have yeah. to get him on to this
1: podcast sometime sure, soon. for sure. And uh, Chad Young, of course, is as an expert in, in Autonew. he's got mm-hmm. his podcast. And then Justin Viber, who um created the Autonew surplus calculator, he's he's on our pitcher list discord. So he and the, the three of us interact quite a lot about on Autonew, and we were together on a couple of pitch con um presentations on auto New. so yeah i feel super lucky that my idea to just put out a weekly article about auto New and my and to learn how to play auto New has has meant that i get to have chats with the creators of the game like how crazy is that that is that is <laughs> fantastic that's so it's super cool. fun yeah it is super fun and uh it's going well i mean I didn't win last year. I wanted to win, and I tried my best, and I just fell a little bit short. Um, and I was doing well this season, except uh, now Dave Sherman is ahead of me in the standings, which he loves, of course. And uh, Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm still – I actually probably prefer to – now everybody's gunning for him instead of gunning for me so um, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll quietly st- stick in my plan is to quietly stay in second until the last week of the season and then overtake him just in time but we'll, we'll I've see
0: not if played that Auto New before but uh, dave and i chat frequently we're good friends and so I, I a lot of times he'll you know ask me my thoughts on certain trades and things like that and so i have a i have a vague understanding of how it works via dave um, but it sounds like it's, it's a very, you know, in depth, uh, almost a dynasty focused sort of thing. And it's kind of, kind it's, of,
1: it's, it's, it's not, I wouldn't call it a dynasty league because, um, it's, it's more short term than that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the way the system, they've added the feature of arbitration so at the end of every season your players salaries go up two dollars if they played in then in the league so in the majors so if you say if you have a twenty dollar chris bryant for instance at the end of the season his salary automatically bumps up to twenty two dollars well there's this allocation system where everybody in the league can put money onto your team they have um, I believe it's twenty. Ooh, I should know this, um, <laughs> but they have a certain amount of they have a certain amount of money. It's I'm not in uh, I'm not in allocation and arbitration mode. I'm in in-season management mode, so I'm not worrying about their salaries yet. But every manager in the league has the opportunity to to stick your Chris Bryant with more salary. So if my twenty dollar Chris Bryant is a deal. At the end of the season his salary could be as high as 30 dollars well at that point is he worth keeping on my team and so that's a really interesting aspect to to um the game of fantasy in that in a typical dynasty league you can keep your players for as forever without any consequences Um, i've heard about players managers having a player like mike trout that they got when he first broke into the league and they haven't given, given up on him. They haven't let him back into the free agent pool since. So, um, I don't know if I want to play in a league like that, where I can never get a chance to get one of the best players. Um, at least for right now. So, but auto allows you to do that because if my Chris Bryant is, his salary is so high that, he's not going to earn that salary then i can throw him back and lots of other managers do that so this off season we had so many big name players in our free agent pool so it was super fun to have an auction every year and add those new players to our team so my team looks completely different than it did last year i mean i have a a few basics that are the same a few players that are, are similar but for the most part, there's a lot of turnover and a lot of change. And when you're functioning within a $400 budget, um, your hands are tied a lot of the time. So it's meant to uh, it's meant to imitate actual management of fantasy baseball teams, um, or not fantasy baseball teams, actual MLB teams. Right. Um, because just because like the Cubs have Chris Bryant, they brought him they brought him up as a rookie. But now, as, as the Cubs know, his uh, his his salary his uh, contract is up, right? And he has they have to decide whether or not they want to pay him the money that he wants, or if they're going to let him go. Well, it's exactly the same concept with our with the Chris Bryant on my uh, Auto new team. At the end of the season, I'm going to have to decide whether I want to pay his higher salary or let him go. Yeah, that's actually a really good transition,
0: as I know we wanted to talk about out-of-the-park baseball, but before we do that, I definitely wanted to, you know, have have a quick discussion on what type of things do you like to do outside the baseball realm? Like, what kind of hobbies do you have, interests, things along those lines?
1: Oh, um, well, my wife and I uh, love to cycle. Um, Victoria is a very cycle-friendly city um, with lots of bike paths and trails and mountains that aren't too far away for all different kinds of cycling. So uh, we do road cycling, we do uh, trail riding, and we do mountain biking. Um, and we do that probably. Well, my wife does it every day of the week for sure, but um, I I go out probably five days a week on my bike to either mountain bike or to get on the trails or just go on a long uh road ride so tomorrow we'll probably ride up to the airport and back so that's around i don't know 80 to 100k Uh, shoot dang yeah so um i was expecting you to say like i don't know
0: 10 kilometers or something along those lines oh my gosh
1: yeah yeah we uh we go long long distances and, and we like it to the point where we will go to um like when we went to LA last summer or a couple summers ago um we did we rented bikes and went out on a long bike ride in LA um and we're planning a trip to uh, France this summer to do some cycling in France. So it's, uh, well, next summer, I guess, not this summer, but, uh, it's something that we just, we do a lot of and we plan trips around it and things like that. So we, we love it. Um, my wife loves it more than I do. Um, I have a hard time getting out of bed first thing in the morning to <laughs> to get on a bike, uh, to bike and then zip around and, uh, in the around zero temperatures in the dark. Like she, she yep. goes out, she goes out in January at five thirty in the morning. Oh my gosh. She bikes for two hours and it's still dark out when she gets I home. Like, so yeah. I, that's not, that's not my favorite thing to do, <laughs> but she loves it. So, and it's wow. something we can do together and I support her and in, in that, that, and, um, we do it together most of the time. Um, it's a little easier now that the weather is nicer, but... Um,
0: I would imagine. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> we don't get any snow here in Victoria. It's not like um, other parts of Canada where it, we get five months of, of snow. Um, in Victoria, it's very mild. Um, we're around the same... Uh, we're one of the most southern parts of the country. Um, certainly, it's very temperate here with, because of the Pacific Ocean, but our weather is very much like it is in Seattle, where occasionally there'll be a little snow but it doesn't last very long it's mainly rain in the winter so it means that we can cycle all year round and there's different um kinds of cycling for different type times of the year so in the summertime you do road riding because it's too hot to do anything else uh in the winter we do in the spring and fall we do uh trail riding so um it's uh not on the pavement it's on you know dirt and gravel sure. and things like that and then in the winter time we do mountain biking because it's um you're not going very fast so it doesn't uh you don't get that cold wind in your face um but you also have to do a lot of climbing so it keeps your heart rate up and you're doing lots of sweating and stuff so it's quite warm when you're out there in the, in the winter time on the mountain so we just uh alternate different times of year to go different kinds of bikes And Victoria is a perfect place for it because there's so many options.
0: That's awesome. That's yeah.
1: Uh, So while you were uh,
0: while you were talking there, I'm just just to confirm, you did say 80 to 100 kilometers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. so for our American listeners, that's between like 50 to 70 miles.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those uh, we call the we call them a donut ride when you do 100 K. Um, so we, uh, we do that a few, we'll usually do that every Saturday and Sunday. Um, oh my gosh. and, and it actually, you know, it it sounds awful, but it's not that bad because what you do is you just get on your bike, you ride for, you have a destination. So yeah, a lot of times we'll go to a brewery or we'll go to a, a winery or we'll just go to my dad's house and we'll bike the 50 kilometers there we'll stop we'll have a picnic or grab some food or have a beer or whatever and then we get on our bike and come home you know you break it up and it's it's fun and you have a destination you have a goal and we don't do it in an hour we do it over the course of an afternoon um so it's it's not as as hard as you think it is the hardest part is just getting your uh it's getting your butt used to sitting on the seat for that long yeah i would imagine it's a little uncomfortable um your body is sore at the end of the day, but once you, uh, once you get used to the seat, then you can really go as long as, uh, you're able to, um, it's, it's fine. And it's a good way to stay fit. And, and, uh, we love the perspective on a bike because you see so much more, uh, when you're biking than you do when you're zipping along in a car. And that's why we'd love to bike when we, we are traveling and visiting other places because um, you can just stop anywhere or slow down even and uh, have a look around if you see something cool that you want to check out. So um, it's a, and you also get to go off the beaten path. So we don't go to the places that uh, tourists go because the places the tourists go uh, aren't very conducive for cycling. So sure, the best place to cycle are on quiet roads where, you know, people don't spend a lot of time. So uh, it's super fun to find those trails. And every city has um, a community of cyclists who know all the best places to to bike. And so you can hook up with them through uh, social media and uh, apps and stuff and uh, find some amazing trails that you never would have found on your own. But uh, it's all just right there for you. So we love it.
0: That's awesome. That's it's, it's it's hard for me to comprehend biking for 50 miles i i i used to be fairly into biking when i was uh high school and college and i would do you know road biking of maybe 20 miles a
1: day mm-hmm.
0: and i thought that that was a lot back in the day but boy oh boy that is
1: well and that i mean that's where we started i mean uh when i first got my got my bike um 15 kilometers was a lot then the next week it was 20 kilometers and then the next week it was 30 like you don't do it all on the first day otherwise you'll never do you'll be in so much pain that you'll just quit so you have to build up to it and and uh we don't like i said too it's a lot easier when you're you get on your bike knowing that you have ice cream as your destination you know? That's fair. That's fair. So so that's what we do. And then we just try to make it fun and we do it together, which is something that I think is really important when you're uh, um, in a relationship is having something that you can do together that you both enjoy. So,
0: That's absolutely true. Like the my wife and I are personality-wise fairly different from each other. She's very – very bubbly and excitable and I'm more down to earth sort of thing, but we have a lot of hobbies and activities that we both enjoy, whether it be dungeons and dragons or hiking, geocaching stuff like that. So Mm. we, we are able to, you know, spend time together and enjoy doing those things. It's great.
1: Yeah. And, and Megan is not interested in, uh, in fantasy baseball. She loves baseball. Um, we go to ballparks together, and she loves watching the game on TV and and all that. But she's not into the fantasy aspect of it at all. So that's my thing. She's got her own other things too that she loves. But um, this is some cycling is something that we can do together. That's awesome.
0: Well, let's go ahead. I know we wanted to talk about out of the park baseball for a while. Um, both of us are. Individually very, very interested in this. I, I I, know it's one of my favorite video games. I imagine it's one of yours as well. And, it is. Uh, what's so intriguing, we were chatting before we started recording, uh, you and I play the same game in completely different ways and have never even really attempted to do what the other does.
1: Yeah. it's very, It's very interesting that you can have a game that has two different modes of playing where we both play it all the time put hundreds if not thousands of hours into the game and i don't know we we can't really have the same conversation about it you know yeah
0: you like it's it's crazy that you and i really cannot relate that much to each other's experiences even (laughs) though i like i'm I can safely say I put over 2000 hours into this game, but you have no idea what I'm talking about. If I well, start going too it's, far, it's in.
1: not that I don't know what you're talking about. I do like we do speak the same language. It's just um, I I don't have the same kind of experience with right in that aspect of the game. You you play the you play the standard game or the historical games mm-hmm. and I play the perfect team. Um, and I think I love playing the perfect team because um, I just love collecting the cards um, I loved growing up uh, collecting cards as a kid. Um, that was actually to go back to our first conversation when i fr- when I was a kid we didn't we had chan two channels and one of them was the French channel and so I didn't end up having a lot of interaction with baseball other than through the uh the team that i watched but there wasn't a lot of um i couldn't really keep tabs on what other teams in the league were doing or who their players were and stuff because i couldn't watch them on tv um and those days if you wanted to know what the score was from the kansas city and and uh well at that time would have been well if you wanted to find the kansas city and The Chicago White Sox game then you had to wait for the newspaper to come out and uh, and then you'd have to look up the box score Uh, so I interacted with baseball at that time through collecting baseball cards I learned all the players I looked at all their stats on the back I learned uh, everything about the game of baseball and the players from the baseball cards and so When a perfect team, I realized that you can collect baseball cards of old players and uh, and put them together to build a team. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm into that. (laughs) That's wild. Like, so give me the like
0: 30 second elevator pitch of what perfect team is in out of the park baseball.
1: Uh, It's a card collecting game. Uh, each card has different attributes that you, um, that you use to, uh, help build a team. Um, and then that team battles it out through, uh, simulations. So, uh, if you put together a 26 man roster of cards, they go head to head in a, uh, simulated game against my 26, um, player roster. And Interesting. it's uh, it's I love the uh, auction house, the trading of the cards. Uh, I think that's for me, I think that's one of the most fun parts of the game is uh, is when you open a pack, you can get your six cards. And then if you happen to pull a good card, then you can sell it on the auction house or huh. and then uh, once you can uh, if you do sell it, then you can use that. Those perfect points to buy other cards that you might want. So, um, I always keep. I don't usually sell the cards that I, I uh, don't have duplicates of. Just like when I was a kid, I only only traded my dupes. Um, sure. And uh, it's the same thing on the perfect team. Is you uh, you grab the cards, and if you get a duplicate, then you sell. You you can trade them, and then or sell them, and then you can um, get. Use that money towards other cards that you want and so if my if my perfect team um, roster has a deficiency at shortstop because my shortstop's arm isn't strong enough to uh, make the throw and he ends up getting a lot of errors in the simulations well then i can then try to find a card who has a higher arm attribute and will reduce the uh, number of errors that I make it from the shortstop position. So I just love the um, the gathering of cards, this searching out of, car- of, of uh, new cards that I want, and uh, then figuring out a way how I can get those cards, just like it was when I was a kid. <laughs> sure. You now, know? in this, basically you're building a team of like...
0: Real players that have played the game and mm-hmm. their ratings. So, yeah. hypothetically, you could have like 1995 Greg Maddox on the same perfect team as like 2012 Mike Trout.
1: Exactly. Oh my exactly. god! that's cool. Exactly. And they go, it goes all the way back. Um, you can play with players like Dan Brothers or uh, Ty Cobb. Uh, oh, wow. Cy Young. Um, let's see. My current team has uh, their my pitching staff is Justin Verlander from uh, circa his Detroit Tiger days. Mark Langston. I have Cy Young and Garrett Cole. Current Garrett Cole. You know. Wow. It's uh it's super fun to learn about all these players too. Um, I love finding a new card and thinking, Wow, I never heard of that guy before um let's do some research like one of the guys this year is Hal al brazel um from the 1947 uh, st louis cardinals and he's a great he has great attributes in this game um so you can go on to baseball reference and check out these players and learn about their histories and they just released an entire um series of negro league players uh, cool. And it's super fun to learn about the Negro Leagues and uh, learn about the history and some of the players. And yeah, I find the best part is is you look at these um, one of the player cards and it says, "Oh, he's eligible as a pitcher, a catcher, a first baseman, a center fielder, <laughs> and a third baseman." You know, it's crazy to think that a player would be able to do all that especially because we're so used to today's games where we ultra specialize uh the older players are so much more versatile sure it's super fun um and uh and i just love the the aspect of playing through the missions uh there's certain tasks that you it's not that you have to perform them but if you do complete them, then you get a special edition card or some extra bonus card, which is super fun to experience and and go through. But when I talk about the ratings of the players, it's very much like it is on the other aspect of the game, right? So the part that you play. Yeah. Like the five stars, or if you change your ratings to the twenty eighty scale. Exactly. Exactly. So it's exactly the same concept, but um, instead of, building a team of players I'm building yeah, a team of cards sort of I'm building a team of cards and That's... they can be from any era um, as long as I'm able to pull them out of my packs and you get packs by um, you can either buy them or you can uh, can win them so there are tournaments and stuff where you can put your best roster against other people's rosters and if you end up winning a 32 player uh tournament then you get a, a card reward or, or a pack reward so huh. it's super fun i it's uh, fun i don't know if i would recommend um you getting involved in it because i think you would love it and it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would, it ends up taking up a lot of your time uh, yeah oh, out of the park baseball
0: fun. ootp is an impressive time sync. yeah um, speaking like of which. I said, I, I've easily got over 2,000 hours since I started playing back in like 2014 um, so and what are you what team do you play so usually uh, I the the teams I've played mainly have been the Montreal Blizzard the Vancouver Beacons the Detroit Wild and right now I'm playing as the Chicago Express. So And uh, wait. So uh, all of you are listening and thinking, what? Those are not baseball teams. And the reason they don't sound familiar is because I made my own league. Ooh. I took the time to come up with 30 teams, um, each with four or five uh, minor league teams that all have custom logos in their Put in unusual cities, like I've got one in Omaha. I've got one in New Orleans, in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and I've been running this simulation as and playing as a general manager for a bunch of different teams. I think at this point I'm almost I've almost run the simulation for a hundred years. Whoa! Uh, and actually playing. Um, I, uh, no, I think I'm past the hundred year mark because I started it in in the year 2010 is when I started it, and I am now in the 2100s. So, wow, it's yeah. I I I have talked about it a little bit before on this podcast, and I um in August of 19, 2019 I put out a uh, an article on pitchlist explaining what i have done you know the park baseball and uh explaining you know how i did it and i almost break down how you can do it sort of thing it's it was a process that took me years to do i started in i think i started in like 2017 building it and i didn't it wasn't to a point where i was happy with it until about 2020 but it was just a slow process of putting stuff together and I enjoyed it because it, it was, it never felt like work to me. It was, a, it was a labor of love as you might say, but it's, it is a lot. I put in a lot of work and you don't have to do as much as I did um, to make this work.
1: Well, it's and, a, it's a video uh, game, right? You, you yeah. want you want to have fun and you, what's so nice about it is you can have fun in so many different ways.
0: Yeah. Out of the park baseball is well worth your money. Um, I usually wait until around the uh, All Star break when, because the, the All Star break, they almost always have a half price sale. And that's yeah. when I usually buy the newest version. Um, but boy oh boy, it 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 can very quickly take up a lot of your time. Because you, you, if you play like I do, you're simulating through um, an actual baseball season. And so you're. I play as the general manager, so I'm signing players, I'm making roster changes and moving guys to the IL, calling up uh, rookies and things like that. And so I'll think to myself, okay, uh, well now that I went through the off season, which is a very in-depth process as a general manager, I can just kind of, you know, quickly simulate through March and April. Uh, May is a little more involved, as you can now see if your players are getting... are going to need to be sent down or moved somewhere else on the diamond. Then in June, it's like, okay, well, now I have the draft to do. it's like, okay, I'll I'll stop playing after we do the draft. And then, well, (laughs) I want to make sure that I actually sign the players that I had drafted. So... I may as well go another few weeks. And then it's like, okay, well, now it's July. So now I have to do some trades and things like that. And it's it's a very scary, like, you look at the clock and it's... 10 p.m. and you're like, yeah, I'll just play for another like 20 minutes, and then you look at the clock again, 20 minutes later, and it's one in the morning, and you're like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, oh no, I have work tomorrow. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's super fun. I mean, that's that's what that's what games are for, right? It's just, yeah. distraction. It's fun. It's it's. Um, I'd rather do that than watch some watch TV some nights. So that's what I do. You know, it's it's yeah. there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not taking over everything. Obviously, but um it's fun it's fun and it's a great game and i i just i find it really interesting that you can have a totally different experience playing the same game as i i do
0: yeah it's wild i see we have on the discord an ootp channel where i see you and a lot of the other folks talking about this perfect team aspect that again, I've never touched. And I, yeah. don't, I up until about 15 minutes ago, I didn't really understand it until you explained yeah. it to me. No,
1: it's, it's, it's fine. So it's, 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 it's great. And uh, like I said, I love it because it's the card collecting. I think I'm a, I think I'm a hoarder <laughs> in a, in a non hoarders body. <laughs> like I, I don't hoard stuff, but I love collecting. I just, I love collecting cards. I, and uh, when you can do it digitally and virtually, it's uh, a little bit easier to deal with when you live in a small house. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's like this was made for you. Exactly. Yeah, I really enjoy it. So it's fun.
0: Now, I did want to talk briefly um, about ballpark trips. Uh, you and I were talking before and you said you, uh, you know, prior to COVID and everything, you you and your wife will do a trip a year to go to a ballpark which coming from canada I, it can be quite difficult i imagine so what what kind of trips have you taken um where have you particularly
1: enjoyed and where do you want to go next well we uh we have friends who love baseball as well so um when we moved away um going to a city Um, A central city and planning a trip for uh, the the groups of uh, different groups of us to go to the same city was super fun and a good way for us to keep in touch. So um, a couple of years ago, we went to Wrigley Field in Chicago and some friends from Toronto met us there and we got to spend the weekend hanging out in, uh, in Chicago. So we'd basically just plan a trip around um, a certain city, um, depending on where the Blue Jays were playing. So, one year we went to New York City and went to see the Blue Jays play in uh, in City Field. Um, so we were this we were the Canadians in the in the ballpark with our you know our Edwin Encarnesi owned jerseys and uh, <laughs> awesome. and and just looking totally out of place and and there were those people who are excited when the visitor visiting team is doing well. So I, I know we can be annoying, but, uh, it's, uh, it's really a fun way to plan a trip. And for us, it's an, also a really fun way to keep in touch with some of our friends who now live in a different city than we do. So we've been to New York to see this, the, the Mets, I've been to Wrigley for the Cubs, um, We've been to AT&T. Well, it was Oracle Park. It was AT&T at the time. We just, um, two summers ago, we went to L.A. So we watched the Blue Jays play Dodgers. Um, That was kind of one of those bucket list things that I really wanted to do was go to Dodger Stadium. And when the Blue Jays ended up getting a series there, I thought, oh, yeah, we have to go. Um, So when the uh, schedule comes out, it's always a really exciting day at our house because we can see the Blue Jays and find out which city they are, uh, unusual city they're playing in, um, in the schedule. And then we can try to figure out a way if we can manage to make a trip to that city to watch the Jays. And when they were playing in LA, because they don't play in LA very often, it's very, very rare that they go to Dodger Stadium. So um, we jumped at that chance um last summer before covid we planned a trip to milwaukee to watch the blue jays play the brewers of course it got canceled but we were going to go to milwaukee last summer Um, we don't know where we're going to go next year we'd love to go somewhere next year if uh, travel restrictions are lifted and we're back to normal um but uh we won't know until the uh, 2022 season schedule comes out and that's when we start planning a trip sure that makes sense yeah I've,
0: my uh, my wife and i were hoping to go to seattle last year and uh clearly that didn't happen but um I one of my you know bucket list things is to make it to every MLB ballpark at some point in my life, and so it's a pro- going to be a process of you know taking little trips here and there. But I've, I've got a decent start. I've been to both Turner and Truist in Atlanta. I've got both of the Chicago parks and a lot of the more Midwest ones. Like I've been to Miller Park in Milwaukee, and it's beautiful. It's one of my favorites. So it's just going to be you know, working my way through. I've I've never been to New York City, so it'd be nice to go there for like a pitcherless meetup and see if I can knock those ballparks out at the same time. That'd be
1: great. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the fun things about being in the Discord and being a part of the pitcherless team is is now I can not only go and visit with my friends from real life, I can now go and visit some of my friends that I've met through PitcherList and do a meetup. Exactly. Because I know if I said to on the Discord, hey, I'm going to be in uh, in this city, anybody want to go to a game, there would be a bunch of people who would say, yeah, 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 let's go to a game. <laughs> Absolutely. They all love baseball as much as I do. So it's not going to be hard to convince people to come along. So it's uh, it's really great um it's also really easy for us too because um not easy but yeah we're coming from canada and it's uh it's a long flight most of the time but uh it's a trip we're, we're doing uh an actual holiday um sure it's not going to be a chore it's not going to be uh be something that's onerous it's just you know i'd love to have something to do when i go to a new city um if i'm gonna go traveling i want to i just don't want to go there and figure it out i want to have a destination and a plan so it's really nice when you go to a city like new york yeah you get to go and do all the touristy things and see all kinds of you know walk around greenwich village and and little Italy and all the places in new york city but then you know that on wednesday you've got to go out to uh, Long Island and watch the uh, or go out to Queens, sorry, and uh, watch yeah. watch the Mets play the Blue Jays. Like It's it's fun.
0: Carefully, you're going to be offending our Mets fans. I know, I know, and
1: I know. Sorry. <laughs> you might have to edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, at the end of our podcast, we do like to answer your guys' questions. So, if you want to hear your question answered on the air, you can, as I mentioned at the beginning, tweet it directly to me at Bristowski or at on the list pl but even easier you can hop into our pl plus discord server we'd be happy to grade your trades offer analysis on any players you've been wondering about or just answer any number of inquiries you might have for my guest majority of what we have today is from our discord server and they are in that uh latter category where people just want to know kind of what uh what does mark think about this our first one is from in, one of our staff members, a recent guest on the podcast, Ben Brown. He would like to know, Mark, if you could send one object somewhere into outer space, what would it be and where would you send it? You know, very baseball oriented
1: question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think that maybe one thing I might do not that I'm talking about all this with you today is I maybe send up a, a pack of baseball cards uh and then because i know how much joy i get from opening a pack of ball baseball cards and send it out and then i know somebody someday would open that up and get that same joy
0: <laughs> that's awesome if you could if you could confirm one card would be in that pack of baseball cards uh what one card would you want it to be
1: oh it's got to be ken griffey jr rookie, rookie card that Perfect. that was my that was my uh, holy grail when i was a kid i just do you have one i do yeah i oh I, did, I did i did i did i died i i don't have them anymore i uh <sighs> when i moved to bc i gave them all to one of my co-workers because uh, he had young kids so i gave them all to to him um i i did have one um i had also had a i remember i was really excited about my Mark McGuire 401 tops card. Um, there you go. I, I loved that card. Um, that was one of the cards that I never forgot in a pack, but I, I saved up all my allowance and bought it. It cost me like sixty dollars when I was a kid, which was a lot of money. And my parents yeah, a kid, that's a lot. my parents thought I was crazy, but it was a card I loved and I wanted to have it so badly. And the funniest thing about cards in Canada and was that it's, it's so weird because all the cards in their tops cards the tops cards in the states you know you're used to them there they have the the backs were very um they were very dark um in compared to the ones we got in canada because in canada we had this company called opici and it was it was basically a a company that reprinted the u.s tops cards in canada because the restrictions in Canada said that things like baseball cards had to be bilingual. And so all the OPC cards had English and French on the back. So they would be allowed, you would be able to sell them in Canada and sell them in Quebec as, and uh, the rest of the country. So they were bilingual cards. They were worthless because nobody wanted a bilingual card, but, um, (laughs) I was super excited about my Mark McGuire card because it was an actual tops card from the States and it was so special to me. Wow.
0: I never thought about it like that. Is it safe for me to assume that you are, if not
1: fluent, at least conversational in French? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I haven't used it in a long time. It's one of those languages or one of those things where, if you don't practice them you forget a lot of it um, sure you have to hear it as well so yeah if we go to france or if even you know, if we go to quebec i hear people speaking french all, all around me and restaurants and on the street and stuff then i pick it up very quickly but yeah i'm not going to speak french for you today because my accent is very bad and <laughs> uh, and stuff but i do speak it i i um i lived in quebec for eight years and so i'm fairly fluent um i don't professed to be an expert but I can definitely get by and uh, it was actually kind of funny We, uh, when we were in France a couple of summers ago my wife uh, had a bad back she threw her back out because she was on the plane for so long anyway she was struggling we were in the car and we are driving along and she was just in so much pain I said okay we gotta stop and get you some medication or something because you're, you're dying out here and she said okay well we go into the store and it was a little town in rural France and they didn't speak any English at all. And my wife is, my wife is trying to communicate. and The woman is just blank faced; She had no idea what my wife is trying to say because my wife, uh, because the woman doesn't speak any English. And so I knew at that point I had to step in and bring, <laughs> hide all my fears about speaking another language. And I just said, okay, I started communicating and as clear a French as I possibly could and they were very she understood exactly what I was saying and she got my wife the uh she wasn't medication but she got her a a heating pad or a Capacin pad for her her shoulder that ended up working wonders and so everything was good but it's uh it's amazing how quickly that stuff comes back when you're pushed it's really easy to not speak French, even if you're in Quebec, because so many people speak English. Right. But if you're in a a situation where it's absolutely necessary, boom, you can just jump right in and and, uh, and you learn very quickly.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Fun fact about our fearless leader Nick Pollock, I am if I'm not mistaken, Nick is actually conversational in French as well. Mm. Very interesting. I he took quite a few years of French in school, but I love that tangent from <laughs> what would you shoot into space to how how good is your French? That was that yeah. is what this show is about. Yeah. That was the best yeah. tangent we've had so far.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's the OPIG cards, right? The uh, exactly the, the dual language. People don't think about those cards. as, you know they have to have a version in in English and French, and so no,
0: I never even considered it. That's that's really interesting. And that's, I know, uh, Justin Paradis was actually our, our next, had our next question. Wanted to know what some kind of interesting differences growing up and learning about baseball in Canada versus the U S might be, I know we discussed it, uh, some earlier and the, those OPG cards are, are something that I, you know, as someone who is oh never left the United States, um, that's something I would never would have even considered Yeah. As, you know a, yep. a facet of baseball in Canada
1: yeah it's just one of those things where the I mean I loved collecting them and my um I didn't ever think about it until I went to the card shop and I tried to sell some of my OPG cards that I thought were valuable because the Beckett baseball monthly said that they were uh, they were valuable, and the guy said, "No, these are OPG cards. These are not tops cards. Uh, these are not worth anything." So, oh no, I was disappointed as a kid, but it was still fun. I mean, what do you want? What do you expect when you're a kid? You know, everything's fun. And, sure. Uh, so it was it was good, but um, other differences. Uh, it's just the access to information. Um, when I was a kid, I couldn't watch the games on TV, par- sure. partially because I was um, in a rural community. Um, and we didn't have access to cable, but also, um, just because it's not the most important thing that they broadcast on TV. So, um, it, that's just that it's just that. And we didn't have USA today either. I mean, we did, you could get it, but it was always very late and it was very expensive. So I know most people would get their sports from USA today. uh, Yeah, and, uh, that was just not as available. So we were, I was watching a lot of this week in baseball when I was a kid. That's how I kind of got into following what was going on. And, uh, so I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Austin, have you? I have. Yeah. My
0: dad has mentioned it before. Um, I can't, I don't think I've seen it myself, but yeah, my dad has mentioned it to me before.
1: Yeah. I loved watching it as a kid and that was really my window into baseball. And, I kind of always got the impression that that's what television was like in the States when I was a kid. It was, <laughs> you know, you'd be able to watch these awesome shows about baseball every week. Like, this is incredible. And, and it was a very, very rare treat that I could, that our antenna would pick it up that particular day and <laughs> particular time. Um, so that was one of the things that was my, my, my Holy grail. When I was a kid, I love watching that. Sure. And, and it was very few and far between. We didn't watch it very, I couldn't watch it very often, but to listen to that, the twib notes and find out about all the hirings and firings and the players who were setting records and stuff like that was super fun for me.
0: Absolutely. And so with the, you know, advent of the internet and streaming services, um, are you able to access things like MLB.tv and other streams oh, yeah. and whatnot? Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything everything from, yeah, absolutely. Everything is exactly the same as it is in the U.S. now. Um, so you just block, blacked out for, I would guess, Seattle and Toronto? Well, uh, yeah, just recently um, they blacked out Toronto. It used to be that you could watch, the Blue Jays games in Canada on MLB TV. And then I think that it was very, I think that started at the beginning of 2020 where you couldn't, um, they blacked it wow. out just recently, which wow is so frustrating, but that's
0: we, uh, th- their blackout rules are very silly to me. They're,
1: they're so especially anti- they're anti- in
0: the 2020 season when no one was able to go to the park Yeah. That's, yeah, it's so frustrating. Well, and it's I hope not, that changes soon.
1: I think the blackout traditionally was about, okay, let's encourage people in the local town to go to the game instead of watching it on TV. That's what I, I remember it being as when I was a kid. But that's just not a reality anymore. Right now, it, the blackout rule is about, well, frame, keep the blacking out rule in Canada is about us, us, as me as a Canadian, instead of buying MLB TV. I have to buy the cable package from Rogers, who owns right. who owns the Blue Jays, instead of. Um, so now I have to watch Sportsnet on uh, watch the game on Sportsnet instead of watching it on MLB TV. So yeah. the blackout rule is not about protecting the Toronto Blue Jays fans, and making sure the stadium is full. It's about me signing up for a package with my cable network, which right. isn't really fair. (laughs) It's very frustrating. Um, yeah,
0: as a, as a, you know, grad student myself without a lot of money, I'm lucky enough that my dad, uh, has a subscription to MLB TV. And so I can watch a lot of the teams that I want to watch, but I can't watch the Braves nationals or Orioles in right. my area being in North Carolina I'm right. about 5 hours from each of them it's 5 hours to get to one of these cities yeah but they, apparently that's still their market and so i yeah, can't but, much it, much stuff on Airbnb. yeah it's
1: not, it's not nothing to do with the, the distance away from you are it's about you buying a package for, exactly so you can watch that on your cable channel right it's yeah.
0: and i don't have it's... cable and i won't have cable i don't think ever again
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, no, i don't have cable either for the same reason i mean i uh, it's, it's frustrating and mlb needs to get there get themselves together and change that because it's it's turning a lot of people off on baseball to be honest yeah. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's right. I do. I can watch any other game. The only game that's blacked out for me right now is, uh, is the blue Jays. Um, all of all so of You can Canada. still watch Seattle. Yeah, I can. Yeah. It's actually, huh. if they were, if they were talking about, um, yeah, all of Canada is considered the blue Jays market. And so it's got, this is a perfect example of why it's got nothing to do with the distance away from the stadium. It's because, the Blue Jay Toronto is what five thousand kilometers away from me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm not just gonna zip down to zip down to a game. Um I certainly can't go down to uh Dunedin right now. That's yeah. I don't even know how many kilometers that would be. Eight thousand, <laughs> seven thousand? Who knows? But it's just about having access to SportsNet TV. They want me to pay for a cable cable channel. Which they charge extra for, but uh, of course, of course they do. It's frustrating.
0: Uh, I looked it up for you. If you wanted to make the drive to Dunedin from Victoria, you were very close. It is fifty-two hundred ninety-seven kilometers. Okay, you were very close. Fifty-three hundred kilometers essentially.
1: So if I could get across the border, which I'm not at the moment, but uh, right. If I could, it would take me, what, 50 hours, six days of driving,
0: 50 (laughs) hours of driving. Yeah, exactly. Going, going through most of Washington, pretty much all of Montana and South Dakota, riding the border of Iowa and Kansas or Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas for a while through Missouri, a little bit of Illinois, briefly through Kentucky down through tennessee all of georgia and then you get to florida but have to go about halfway down the state before you actually get there
1: yeah yeah so there you go okay so i'll, I'll get i'll get right on that <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah you can bike it it'll be no problem.
1: <laughs> yeah how long would it take me to
0: bike it <laughs> uh let me look let me look <laughs> maybe someday um, it would take you 288 hours to bike it apparently
1: that's still a pretty good pace i don't think i could could do
0: yeah i don't know that that (laughs) seems that seems a little uh that seems wrong to me that Uh, seems like it should be more than that for 5600 kilometers
1: at that uh, at that time at that distance it would probably take me six months (laughs)
0: 5600 kilometers that's
1: crazy uh
0: another question that was posed for you mark what is your favorite ballpark snack? You're going to the park. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna spend twenty dollars on on one disappointing uh, meal.
1: What are you gonna have? Um, I don't. Well, I gotta have a beer. I, of course, I, I have to have a beer. Um, I might just put my. To be honest, I might just save my food money and put it towards more beer. Um, Honestly. I usually do the same thing. <laughs> I, I like to buy a, a hot dog outside the stadium. Um, maybe get some peanuts outside the stadium. And if I can bring it in, then I will. But um, I usually will. If I can't bring it in, I'll usually just scarf it down in the parking lot and go in and then buy two beers or three beers at the ballpark instead. Yep. Um, I know when we went to L.A., I couldn't believe the prices of uh, a can of beer in um Angel Stadium and Dodger Stadium, it was just, I was like, you know how long I have to work to make enough after-tax money to buy one beer at this ballpark? (laughs) You start doing the math and you just can't believe it. Um, I would guess
0: a can of Budweiser is going to be like $12 there. Um, But like a can of Golden Road, like good beer is going to be closer to like $20. I think
1: that's, I I think it was something like 20 if i'm thinking if i can remember correctly it was around 22 dollars it was a big can to be honest it was a big one but um it was a lot of money and and then i uh, and then i'm sitting there drinking it, thinking okay with the exchange rate this is not a 22 dollar beer this is like a a 40 dollar beer and like i couldn't believe it so a lot of times when i'm at the ballpark to be honest i'm thinking okay I'm not gonna buy some nachos for seventeen dollars. I'm just gonna put that seventeen dollars towards a second beer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I usually I like to go for a uh, a hot dog or a brat or something like that um, at Truist Field. The the go to they've got a uh, street taco vendor in in uh, behind center field that's very good and decently affordable. You can get like three tacos for like 15 bucks. Nice. Which, you know, for ballpark prices, that's not bad. Yeah. So yeah, that's usually my go-to there. Uh, I'm looking now at, uh, the, the, a ranking of beer prices for, um, 2019. Mm -hmm. If we're looking at the, like baseline sheep beer like bud light or something like that it's looking like the most expensive place you can go is actually city field with the new york mets apparently they're they're asking for 11 us dollars
1: 11 okay i must have gone i must have uh I never got the small cans. I always got the, like, the quarts, the big... That's the fair. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they're, it's pricey. It's pricey. It, and is, I, it is wild. I, I know that... I know part of the reason why they charge so much for the beer is because they have done some calculations about how much it's going to cost people to drink all the beer and then how drunk they're going to get. And then when people get to a certain level of drunkenness, then they have to pay security to come in and deal with all the drunk people so they like to keep the prices expensive so instead of having seven beers you're having two instead Um, and then you just don't have to pay the security that same kind of uh expense to to take care of all these drunk people who are running around the stadium but um i know it definitely works for me because (laughs) i'm not getting i'm not drinking seven beers at uh, dodger stadium that's definitely fair well mark it's
0: been a pleasure do you have any uh kind of
1: closing thoughts for us here well i just want to thank you so much for having me um it's it's really nice to talk about baseball i think you probably have heard my voice getting more and more relaxed as we've gone through this conversation because i just feel um you know i was nervous at first and it's nice to just talk about baseball and relax and i don't know if i said anything all that uh revolutionary or interesting but um it was definitely fun to have a chat and uh thank you so much for having me
0: well it doesn't necessarily need to be revolutionary to for people to enjoy it i think the the uh i think the appeal of this podcast in particular as opposed to the other podcasts on the picture list network for is uh, just hearing everyone's different perspective. And you certainly have a unique perspective, as like you mentioned, you're one of the older uh, Pitchellist staff members and you're in Canada. That, that in and of itself is, such a unique experience from so many of our, uh, other staffers and listeners. So thank you very much for coming on. And one more time,
1: where can the people find you on Twitter? On Twitter? I'm at Mark McElroy BB. Uh, again, I don't, I'm not there very often, but that's uh, definitely <laughs> a place to find me. The best place to find me is on the picture List discord. Um, if you are able join us and, uh, you can have, Chats with me as long as well as eight hundred other people who love baseball as much as you.
0: It's a great time. We certainly enjoy it, and that is uh, McElroy. That's right. Alrighty, folks. Well, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. For myself and Mark, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time on the list.